do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay. But it's not just any bay. It's Baywatch, because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School, a podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. And uh, guess what, Michael? What? It's a, it's a very special episode. Again? This Again? That's that's right. It has been snowing here a whole hell of a lot. That is So special. it's very special for us to be able to escape the snow for a little bit and go to a beach. Wow. And also, uh, much more importantly, uh, we have a guest this week. Whoa, Paul, what? welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. It's a true pleasure to be here with you wonderful people. Is it, Paul, I'm, is it, is it a true pleasure or just like sort of a pleasure? No, nah, absolute pleasure because <laughs> I also had never watched Baywatch. And this being one of the first episodes I'd ever sat and watched front to back, I am completely blown away. It is the perfect episode mm. for me. I, yeah. I, I do think it's a perfect encapsulation of what Baywatch is as far as an episode goes. Uh, yeah. Except for you don't get any you don't get as much racism or really any racism in this. episode. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is the when people say make Baywatch great again, they think of this episode, not. <laughs> no one says that. No, literally no one has ever said that, <laughs> including us, the people who review Baywatch. No one has ever said that. I feel like one of the sand crabs probably did at some point. Oh, probably. I mean, they uh, they have some opinions about this episode. Don't worry. We'll get to that. Oh, later. I bet. Uh, but in fact, what is this episode? Well, it's Baywatch season three, episode 21 kicks. And this was written by Michelle Burke, Trish Garland and Peter Kiewit. Trish Garland was on this show before. As an actress in the season two episode reunion where Mitch goes to his high school reunion. But she has done so little that even back when we did that episode, I didn't even include her in my guest actors spiel because she's done next to nothing. So, wow. uh, And Peter Kiewit wrote another episode this season, Princess of Tides, where Mitch falls in love with a princess. Uh, And we learned that uh, apparently Eastern Denmark is has a king or something i don't know very weird um and it was directed almost like mm-hmm. almost like the baywatch writers don't know geopolitics that well paul do you think if you if you had to guess what political party the baywatch writers subscribe to which one do you think they would subscribe to any like <laughs> like I, any I, I i have zero, i could have zero barometer on this just because like I feel like this this show truly appeals to the masses, and there's so many like microcosms of like audiences <laughs> it applies to that I have zero read on it. Like, it, some people could on one side could love it because it's so like I don't know like pop culturey and funny, but then others could love it for uh, I don't know what the word is, but the prominent features of Pamela Anderson like in this episode. <laughs> uh. <laughs> My suspicion is that the writers were much more of the listen, I'll go to any party, bruh, kind of uh, (laughs) political affiliation. Ah, okay. So uh, the Green Party. (laughs) (laughs) If you know what I mean. Uh It was California, so. Hey, oh. But getting back to this, um, let's talk about (laughs) some, some guest stars. We have quite a few interesting ones this episode I want to talk about. And our first one is Chad Stowelski. 
who plays uncredited fighter in this episode. Now, I'm sure you're saying, wow, uncredited fighter. They're my favorite. Which one were they? <laughs> I don't know because they were uncredited. Uh, but you may know him for a few things. Firstly, he was Brandon Lee's stunt double when he died. That's oh, wild. Uh, mind you, that was one and a half months before this. So mm. he died. So the the incident on the crow happened one and a half months before this episode came out. Holy shit! Yeah, so pretty recent. Uh, but he's also been a stunt double for a lot of things. But you kind of can't eclipse that since he was the body double that they CGI'd Brandon Lee's face on for all the remaining shots. Um, but you also may know him as something else very, very important. And that is that you may know him as the director of all three John Wick movies. Um, oh. Which, yeah. And he's going to be the director of the upcoming Ghost of Tsushima movie and the new Highlander movie. Is wow. this like one of the yeah. most successful Baywatch people on Baywatch besides the main cast? Uh, there's been some successful people. Like one of the random bit actors is George Clooney's writing partner. Uh, David We've also had Brian Cranston, David Spade, Mariska Hargitay, uh, Danny Trejo. You know, I mean, for a guy whose name I've never heard of, this guy seems pretty successful. Like, I mean, that's yeah. pretty successful. John, I mean, if. But if you go back like five years, not really. But John Wick, then you're like, oh, oh, crap. Like, that's successful, you know? Yeah. Um, next up, Ken Stedman plays Larkin in this episode. Who is Larkin? I don't know. But he's Larkin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure, absolutely sure, you both recognize him from Beach Babes from Beyond. Oh, of course. Of course. A staple yeah. viewing library. Yeah. I, I mean, you obviously don't need me to tell you the plot since you know it. But for the people who don't know it, three intergalactic beauties beam down off the California coast and have a close encounter with three local beach boys. Now, this movie seems quite notable for having a number of actors like actors you may know, but are not actors that you know. Let me give you some examples. <laughs> Joe Estevez, Don Swayze, wow. Joey Travolta, and Jackie Stallone. Are those real people or are those, th are wow. those yes. credit names? No, those are real people. Those are the actors' names. So they just got a bunch of people like people you know, but not. Though Burt Ward is in it, the guy who originally played Dick Grayson in the original Batman. And his character name is Mr. Bun. And that makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, next up, Kamel Kriffa plays Kamel. They, I guess they just picked his first name. Uh, he's the guy who owns the fighting arena at the end, uh, near the end of the episode. And he's Jean-Claude Van Damme's personal trainer. Which wow, is wild. very cool. Uh, he's also randomly a producer, associate producer for Basic Instinct 2. Uh, comes out of nowhere. Sure. Uh, he, he got to be in a bunch of uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies because of his association with him. Like when Jean-Claude Van Damme got famous, he was just always around him. And people were like, hey, you're around him all the time. So you must be pretty cool being our thing. <laughs> and that's exactly how his career happened. Huh. Uh, which 
hey, Paul, if you stick around this podcast long enough, you may uh, get to exactly where you are now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll come full circle yet again. (laughs) Yes. Mm. (laughs) Anthony Guadera plays Elaine uh, Bergeret. He's the photographer in this episode. He's an award-winning actor. Who else can say that on this episode? Award-winning actor. Yes. Uh, He won the MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss with Natasha Henstridge in Species. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Now, if you don't remember, his role in that movie is Robbie, comma, guy picking up Natasha Henstridge. So, uh, great role. Um, You may also know him from his other amazing roles like Anthony, comma, the bodyguard in Godfather Part 3. Not there. There's a movie. <laughs> that sure is a movie. Mm-hmm. Not good, not bad. A movie. Um, Lauren Avedon is back. He plays uh, Michael Branson in this episode. He was in Princess of Tides as well. Uh, he played one oh. of the terrorist royal guards. Oh. If you want to hear more about him, uh, go listen to our Princess of Tides episode because I don't want to repeat it all. Uh, so, uh, because, uh, the next person I'm going to talk a lot about, um, probably more than I've talked about any other guest actor in this TV show. Uh, and, right. uh, once you hear why it will be very obvious. Uh, and that is the referee in the beginning of this episode who is per- uh, portrayed by Jean LaBelle, Morgan and Paul, do you know who Jean LaBelle is? Not even a little bit. Not a clue. So Jean LaBelle is one of the maybe top five most important figures in professional fighting of all time. So he is the guy who popularized grappling in pro fighting. So for him, you would not have mixed martial arts as it exists today. So I want to tell you about about him for a while so this guy's history is crazy so he first started training at age seven uh and he started training originally in pro wrestling uh back in 1939 and this was back when pro wrestling was more along the lines of like collegiate stuff so you had a lot of holds and so people would legitimately transition from one thing to the other so this is pretty early on in its glitz and glamour phase. He was training under this guy called Ed Strangler Lewis, who is one of the most important figures in pro wrestling history. And he started at a time, Ed Lewis did, when pro wrestling wasn't fixed. There were real matches that went for fucking ever. Like they took <laughs> a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. And Ed had at least 6,000 of these matches. And wow. most of these, probably like 80% were not fixed. So they were wow. legitimate contests, and he only lost 32 of them. Jeez. So that's, Holy shit. That's wild. T- to put into perspective how long ago this was, Ed Lewis popularized the sleeper hold. Just the most basic thing. He made that wow. popular. And he started in 1905, right? So wow. a long time ago. But more importantly to me, he was the three, one of the three prongs of what's called the Gold Dust Trio. And pro wrestling, as, as it is today, would not exist without that. So the trio was Ed Lewis as the world champion, his manager, Billy Sandow, and the promoter, uh, who has a very funny nickname, uh, Joseph Toots Mont. Uh, so I'm just going to call him Toots <laughs> because it's funny to That's say. Um, 
And they yep. came up with a genius idea. And that was, what if we change pro wrestling? Um, genius, I know. So yeah. at the time, these matches were fucking long. Again, they would go for five hours, six hours. Holy even. shit. You would just, and people would just sit there in stands and like, uh, in like these open arenas, it kind of looks like uh, when you see pictures of it, like um, in Dragon Ball Z, when they have like the martial arts tournaments, and there's just some people in stands, <laughs> and there's like the square that they stand on, but that for like five hours. I and, guess when there was fuck all else to do, like why not? Right, exactly. You know, you go to like a baseball game, and that's going to be like three hours, maybe. Right? I don't yeah. know. Um, but it was like a you know an actual challenge where people were doing these like holds and stuff and. The only difference between that and collegiate wrestling at the time was, okay, so now you get a title belt, basically. Mm. And it was like a little bit carny, you know. There was some fixing, but it was kind of carny promoted. Um, But Toots Mott had the idea to to create something he called Slam Bang Western Style Wrestling. Dumb name. Amazing, though. Uh, and he said, okay, what if you could do body slam, suplexes, arm drags, and you could punch? Because you couldn't punch. You could just do, like, holds and stuff, mm. right? Uh, now, imagine if you took, like, amateur collegiate wrestling and said, you can punch the guy now. Whoa, <laughs> right? So, and while some matches were fixed, Toots had the idea of, what if you have a finishing move? Like, a move that you do that's your signature move. And people would be like, oh, my God, that's it. That's when he's going to get him. And that way people would go home happy because they'd be like, oh, I could predict what's going to happen. I can get excited and get into it. Now, also, Ed Lewis was a hooker. Wait, what? Pause for effect. Pause for effect. (laughs) Now, I know what you're thinking, Michael, what? Um, Don't worry. In in wrestling uh, and pro fighting, a hooker is someone who can legitimately debilitate someone. Uh, so they, the idea would be that if someone doesn't want to lose, you can make them lose because you're so fearsome and terrifying. So you'd want mm. that if you're a promoter, boxing, you know, MMA, whatever, you want your guy to be legitimately, you know, tough. So if someone is like, I'm going to throw the fight or I'm going to like play dirty, you can just beat the shit out of them. Right. That way you get to keep your story going. And he was the best hooker in the biz. So with him as champ, they were pretty much guaranteed to make shows run the way they wanted to. And because they didn't need to worry about that, they could change how the shows are marketed. And they decided, okay, let's have traveling shows with multiple matches that were shorter that we fixed all of them instead of just one single for fucking ever long match. Right. Mm -hmm. So they did this for a few years and that changed pro wrestling because that's what it is now. That's what it's like. And it wasn't then. Um, But they broke up in, in 1928 and Ed Lewis would retire in like 35 and he would train Gene LaBelle in about 39 so, you know, mm. soon after Ed Lewis's retirement, he would meet Gene LaBelle and train him at the age of seven. But Mont would go on to do something else wild. Another thing that would forever change the business. So in 1963, he made a business deal with a boxing and wrestling promoter who worked for what's called the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, to basically pay the NWA to leave their contract and form their own company. And this is 
because of some stuff that they did with the booking of their champion, yada, yada. It's it's very interesting, but this rant is already going a little bit long, <laughs> so I'll skip all that. Uh, and they formed their own company in the Northeast and settled in New York. Now, the promoter that he dealt with was named Vince McMahon Sr., and that company oh. was called the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the WWF. Wow. Vince McMahon Sr.'s son, Vince McMahon Jr., would change that to the WWF, and thus Tootsmont created the WWE. Um, but he sold all of his ownership in it in 71, and he died in, like, 73. So he never got to Ow. see it. But, you know, he basically changed the business completely twice. Yeah, no kidding. Now, wow. back, back to Gene LaBelle for a moment. So he's met all the greats. He's worked with all of them. He trained Ronda Rousey. He was her main trainer. Wow. Uh, he's beaten up Steven Seagal. Uh, this is a fun story. Just Steve, like just like in a bar? No, 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 no. This is even better than that. So Steven Seagal, <laughs> we all know Steven Seagal is kind of a dick bag, right? This isn't yeah. anything new. Steven Seagal publicly on record said, I am immune to being choked unconscious. So what a dumb thing to say. <laughs> right. I mean, right. Especially when you are someone like Steven Seagal. Right. With a neck that big, he might actually be. <laughs> good point. Good point. You know, um, so Gene LaBelle was uh, said, OK, I'll try. And he's like, OK, fine. So Gene LaBelle is said to have put him in a headlock as a challenge, made Seagal pass out and then shit himself. Um, <laughs> Holy shit. Now, Steven Seagal asserts in an interview and asks about LaBelle, has un- quote unquote said, Gene LaBelle is a sick, pathological scumbag liar. Um, pretty sure that's but, pretty sure that's you, pal. But OK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a few accounts of it. Uh, Gene LaBelle uh, is still alive. And he in any interview has has kind of said like he hasn't specifically said, yes, exactly. That happened. But he's sort of like been vague about it. I think because he's just like, it's kind of embarrassing. I don't want to embarrass Steven Seagal. He's got a bit of an ego, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, he's Gene LaBelle has also trained Chuck Norris and worked with Chuck Ow. Norris in fighting scenes. Roddy Piper. He has three movie fight scenes with Elvis Presley. And his final pro wrestling match was in 1981 against The Rock's grandfather, High Chief Peter Mavia. Um, Holy shit. He also... Uh, used to wear traditionally, you know what a gi is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so his gi was pink. Most gis oh. are white. What happened was right. someone put some red underwear in the wash, oh boy. and it, it made his <laughs> gi pink, and he was in Japan, and they booed him uh, because they're like, that's like disrespectful. And mm-hmm. it was during a tournament, like a, a judo tournament, because Jean LaBelle was also a trained judo fighter, and uh, sure. Jean LaBelle won the tournament, and uh, apparently people tried to stab him afterwards. Uh, Jesus. Wow, okay. there, there's crazy stuff. Like, there's a story of Gene LaBelle. He got into, uh, someone challenged him to a fight. And this guy was like a like a professional, or he's like, he's a karate master or something. Um, and he's like, okay, I'm going to challenge you to a fight, but you can't kick. Also, I'm going to uh, Vaseline my gi and I'm going to wear brass ducks <laughs> under my gloves. And Gene LaBelle beat him in like 30 seconds with a single throw. It's like, wow. he's crazy. Um, so but anyways, his traditional pink gi is the inspiration for Street Fighter's Dan Hibiki, oh. who has a pink coloring scheme. 
Uh, it's based off of Jean LaBelle. Also, wow, he's somehow part of the Watergate scandal. And what? <laughs> I don't. There's tapes of him and Nixon, and they had to really? be reviewed as part of Watergate. I so, now, I have one thing crazier. This is the last sure. thing about Gene LaBelle. Okay. There's a Gene LaBelle was very close to Bruce Lee. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a story where Bruce Lee was uh, filming The Hornet, and uh, the stunt coordinator needed to hire new stuntmen because Bruce Lee was not going easy on any of the stuntmen. He was just beating the shit out of them uh, because he's like, nah, like I got to make it look believable. So I got to kick the absolute shit out of them. So he said, fuck it. I'm hiring Gene LaBelle as a stuntman. (laughs) So he hires Gene LaBelle and he goes and he says, put Bruce Lee in a headlock. And Gene LaBelle is like, nah, I'm just going to lift him up. So he lifts Bruce Lee up puts him on his shoulders and runs around the room for like five minutes. And the whole time Bruce Lee is screaming, put me down or I'll kill you. Um, <laughs> and Gene LaBelle responded by saying, I can't put you down or you'll kill me. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Well played. So he eventually puts him down and says, sorry, sorry. This is just a fun joke. And, Bruce Lee goes, no, nah, I appreciate that. That, that. that was pretty funny. And they became friends. And oh. at that time, uh, that's when uh, Bruce Lee realized that there was a flaw in Jeet Kune Do. So Jeet Kune Do is the martial art that Bruce Lee created because he was unsatisfied with Wang Chung, which he practiced. And he realized mm. that one of the main flaws was he, Jeet Kune Do had no grappling in it. And Gene LaBelle is the pioneer of grappling. And right. he was like, the only reason Gene LaBelle was able to get me on his shoulders was because he's so good at grappling. My martial art, if it was good enough, I wouldn't have been put on Gene LaBelle's shoulders and run around the room for five minutes. <laughs> so he decides to train with Gene LaBelle. And everything he learned from Gene LaBelle is what he used to finish Jeet Kundo. To create the martial art, which he would then fully debut sort of in Enter the Dragon. So uh, he ta- so Jean LaBelle taught him grappling and he taught Jean LaBelle Jeet Kune Do striking, um, which is crazy. So all of this is to say you should definitely watch. Uh, there's a YouTube video uh, called uh, Fighting in the Age of Loneliness by Secret Base, who are an amazing channel. They have a three hour video on the Seattle Mariners about why they're the weirdest team in baseball. Um, and also the saddest and most cursed. Uh, <laughs> it's very funny. You find out things like, um, the jello man, a man who, uh, removed all of the furniture in the Mariners head coach's hotel room and replaced all the water in the toilets with jello. And what the fuck? And then the head coach called a national search for the Jello Man. So on the paper, oh, that's says, very good. Find the Jello Man, and it turned out like a year later, it was one of his players who was just like, "I just wanted to fuck with him." <laughs> uh, and that all wow. it's amazing stuff. Like the Mariners literally had the best players of all time and have been the worst team in baseball forever. But, anyways. How the fuck did they get Gene LaBelle on this random episode? So he, watch he does so much stunt acting 
That's the oh. thing. He was like, look, I'm the fucking best. I know what I'm doing. Like, so you just put yeah. me in anything. Uh, I mean, if you look at his, like, IMDb, it's wild. He's been in hundreds of things. Uh, wow. Because he, he can do all the stunts. And if it's anything like legitimate fighting and you're like, this is Gene LaBelle, people will be like, oh, shit, that's Gene LaBelle. He's like the best, you know. Right. So uh, huh. it was pretty shocking when I when I looked at that. I was like, that guy looks familiar. Oh, shit. That's Gene LaBelle. Uh, so, yeah, really wild. Uh, really cool. Yeah. But uh, Morgan, why don't you uh, take us into this episode? Yes, let's. We open on a martial arts montage uh, with a hard rock song playing in the background. You get a hard rock song? Okay. Oh, yeah. The main lyric that gets repeated over and over and over and over and over again throughout this entire very long montage is, I'm a bad mofo. So I'm a bad mofo. <laughs> so, Paul, this is since this is your introduction to Baywatch, something you should know is that Morgan and I watch different versions of this show. Wait, so I just yeah, wait. So because I got a lot of music, too, but I got this song that had like run for cover or something. Oh, yes. Don't worry. I have the lyrics for you in just a moment here. Because I, <laughs> I, I, I wrote down all the songs because I wanted to find them later to figure out who the bands were and I couldn't find it. Oh, don't worry. Oh, yeah. I found out. <laughs> OK, perfect. Um, and, and I will have you read or sing these lyrics in just a moment. Uh, I see. I don't know which one Morgan's is, but in the original airing of this show, uh, the song here was Here Comes Trouble by Bad Company, which interesting Mm. choice. Um, But Paul and I get run for cover by Ryan T. Hope, not to be confused with the mid 70s soap opera Ryan's Hope. Uh, (laughs) I also found Ryan T. Hope on LinkedIn. I didn't add him. Maybe I should. Um, he on there list his uh, a song he wrote for Sharknado Five, but he doesn't sure. list this song, uh, which tells me that he thinks Sharknado Five is better than Baywatch. <laughs> which, hey, now I don't agree with that one. Buddy. I also now have to wonder: Did he base this on the Killers song? Well, which Killers the Killers song? base this Run on for cover. his song. Oh, oh, well, no, because this song, if you watch this on Hulu, would have come out, what, 2015, 16, something like that? Uh, I think 18. Four, oh 18. God. Oh, I didn't Wait, know. Wait, so they put in new music? Oh, yeah. Is that to avoid? There's yes. three different versions. Is that to avoid paying, three different songs? Like why? To, to, for money, for licensing? Yes, it's licensing reasons for lots of it. Um, yeah, so there's there's three versions. At least there is the original version. Then there's the version I watch, which is the first re-release of everything that has slightly different music, but some of the original music. And then there's the version on Hulu, which is all original tracks written for Baywatch by obscure artists. So someone went through like I am not. 10 plus years of Baywatch was like, we need new music for every episode. Yeah. Yes. There's like 300 new songs. That's inc- yes. incredible and terrible. <laughs> yes, those are both the accurate words I would yes. use. Yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of terrible, Paul, I have for you a terrible song here, um, which I will uh, uh, warn you does have some Michael and Morgan participation in the middle. Uh, so, Morgan, be ready. Uh, sure. Uh, here is a giant wall of text. 
Oh my god. Paul, would you uh would you like to read or sing or whatever this to us? Oh my god, it's <laughs> but <laughs> won't forgive you for the sins you've done. Now your day has come. Play the big shot, running your big mouth. Now you're now you're on the run. You say you're the man, play by your own rules. Now you play the fool. Run for cover. You think you're so tough, run for cover. <laughs> Running your mouth for long enough, run for cover. Better not be hanging around, run for cover. Sooner or later, you're going down. Three, four, ding! Such a jealous boy, holding the big grudge. I, I, I wish I could remember how it sounded like, because I feel it's... In my mind, I just go, run for cover, which is, here comes trouble. But that's not what it is. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay, I'm, I've am i learned so much in this, the first, what, like 30 minutes of recording this podcast about A, G, LaBelle, <laughs> but B, music licensing. This is incredible. Um, oh, yeah. And now I need to go find these songs after so I can go. Well, here's, here's the thing. Uh, you won't. Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> Maybe you will. Uh, there's so there's a possibility. So depending on the song, some of these songs are on BaywatchRemasteredHD.com. They have like pictures of the people. I know Ryan T. Hope is one of the people that has his picture up, um, and they have links to like the vi- some of the music videos. This one I think is actually up there, so it's probably on YouTube. That means, um, but a lot of the songs aren't, and that's probably a good thing because it's not mm-hmm. really a group of songs in this show that you want to promote as like, Hey guys, don't you love this song? No, not, not really. Uh, (laughs) especially when like, again, we bring this up a lot on this podcast. There's two songs about wanting to fuck your brother. (laughs) 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 So it's like, you're not really going to want to be like, Hey guys, I know you've been in a mood today. Don't worry. What about fucking your brother, though? You know, Michael, this, that, that just goes and hammers home the point of when you asked me about what political party Baywatch appeals to. And I think that... <laughs> the brother fucking party? <laughs> <laughs> Which party is the brother fucking party, Paul? <laughs> oh. Again, it's this wide spectrum of parties that I never got in it. You know. <laughs> A wide spectrum of fucking, Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Um, it's the see, Tories. Getting... It's the Tories. Let's be honest. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. This montage wraps up with. Well, actually, uh, Matt... I, I want to talk mm-hmm. a tiny bit about the montage because oh, I sure. thought it was really funny. Um, Matt. So Matt is a horrible fighter because um, all of his strats are like the same as like a casual Street Fighter player, where it's like I do a few punches and then I go for a jump kick, and he just <laughs> jump kicks so much in these fights and I'm like that cannot be smart someone's gonna figure out all he does is jump kick and just move and then sock him in the face it's, yeah he's not a good kickboxer which I mean yeah there he's not a kickboxer so that <laughs> makes sense he, he plays like how their main audience probably plays Street Fighter yeah just exactly. jump yeah. kick don't know what to do get a jump kick Exactly. I mean, look, that's a fair strat when you're against noobs. But when you're against pro players, you got to do a Hadouken every now and then, right? Well, now, Michael, maybe, and I didn't see, maybe he's against mm-hmm. a noob, you know? 
What do you mean he's against a noob? Well, like the first fight, the montage one. We don't know that guy. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, that's that's fair. He doesn't need to use. Uh, do- yeah, okay, that's. You're right. You're right. But in his yeah. last fight, he's not. <laughs> and he still goes for the same strats. Well, it's a fighter's fallacy. <laughs> Um, but yes, eventually Matt does win, and a guy in the crowd spots Mitch. So then we see another fight. Well, that guy takes some pictures. Um, and then we learn after the fight that the name of this guy is Michael, and he's gonna beat Mitch. They were Navy SEALs together. He he actually kicks Mitch in the back of the lake. I love that. It's yeah. wild. It can't come... There's so much of this episode that just comes out of nowhere. Uh, and I kind of I kind of love that. But he tells Mitch uh, or Mitch tells him to get over himself and move on with his life, which God bless this episode. We, let me give you some context here, Paul. <laughs> um, the last two episodes before this. Right. Uh, the main plot was that Mitch was paralyzed. Oh, boy. So you guys really had a slog. <laughs> Yeah, so Mitch goes from being paralyzed to fighting. Like, right after, like, they could have picked any up, epi- anything, literally anything after the paralyzing plot. And they chose the one where Mitch fights. It just seems yeah. a little strange, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, after that, uh, we get a new scene where Summer tells the other fighter from Matt's second match. Don't go in the water. Your muscles are too hot. You're going to cramp up Mm. because the water is cold. So the fighter um, flirts with her. His name is Steve, and he is maybe the worst actor I've ever seen. He's got a terrific accent. Uh, Oh, yeah. Fun fact. uh, He is played by uh, Scott Thorson, who has never done anything else. But this Mm -hmm. is not to be confused with the more famous Scott Thorson, who I chose not to mention early on, a.k.a. the romantic romantic partner and later uh sewer of liberace yes <laughs> i went down this rabbit hole too because the character's name is scott thornson or steve thornson it's steve and the Thorn. actors yeah right the 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 character is scott thorn and the actor is or no fuck the act the names are exactly <laughs> the fucking same no, the, is what i am <laughs> unintentionally illustrating the, here the character is steve thorn and the actor is scott thorson Yes, I did forget to bring up um, that I love. I, I I wrote down uh, the before. I think before he gets in the ring, or no, I'm sorry, when he gets in the ring with the tough guy, uh, Mitch's advice of we he has weaknesses we can exploit. And I was like, this sounds like a Cobra Kai mantra verse. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how would you know what weaknesses he has to exploit, man? All he's doing is watching the yeah. match. <laughs> yeah. What is this, like, Voight comp test you're doing? Come on. (laughs) Also, we should add, Summer specifically tells Steve, Scott, Scott Steve, Stiat, um, (laughs) that she doesn't think kickboxing is a sport nor an art. Okay, so not being art, valid opinion. Not being a sport, it's literally competitive, how yeah, is this it's not dumb? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just thought this is yeah. the greatest episode- double dig because it's like it's like if you <laughs> just imagine if you watch a wrestler like I don't think you're what you do as a sport or an art. It's like, oh, it's nothing. 
<laughs> I, I like the idea that this episode can't figure out if it wants to like promote fighting or chastise fighting because it's all about fighting and then says mm, this this stuff sucks it chastises yeah. children underground boxing rings. <laughs> if, that feels like a fair thing to chastise if we don't chastise it we'll probably get in some trouble so yeah let's chastise that <laughs> mm-hmm after uh, after that, we get to see Matt and Mitch stretching a bunch. It's pretty much the whole scene. Pilates, best invention ever. Which also yeah. that machine has that machine been in other episodes? I, I, we've talked Probably. about Joseph Pilates once, which I love that the creator of Pilates is named Joseph Pilates. But yeah, uh, we we talked about it. I think with Helen for some reason. I, I think so. But like maybe it's been in one. I don't. The machine seems pretty gnarly. The machine looks like it was built in 10 minutes from like a hardware store trip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was trying to analyze that and I was like, a lot of these things don't look like they do anything at all. Like the ropes with the pulleys, like I don't think they're attached. (laughs) No, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, that was I I, I made. I wanted to bring that up because I was like, it looks just like a bunch of screwed together. (laughs) It probably is. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would not be surprised if it was just like, you know, a day before they had to shoot this scene and the director was just like, hey, props guy, we need exercise equipment. And the props guy was like, fucking, I don't know. Here's some ropes and shit. Like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> What's a trendy workout these days? The kids do Pilates. Oh, OK. Mm-hmm. It's a Pilates machine. And it's actually a torture. Device. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it feels very possible to me. Um, it feels but, very unsafe. Oh, definitely. Um, but after this, we see CJ getting approached to model for definitely not Sports Illustrated Wink. Um, oh, actually, actually, uh, I, I have, if, if you wouldn't mind, a little bit of uh, method acting I would like the two of you to do. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, but I need one of you to volunteer to be Mitch and one of you to volunteer to be CJ. I'm... I will leave it up to our guest, oh. Paul, whichever one you would prefer. I think I, I, I'll i take Mitch. All right. Okay. So, uh, please, Morgan, you take CJ. Paul, you take Mitch. So what? Is this a problem? <laughs> the problem is, I don't know if I want my life to change. I kind of like it the way it is. Then don't do it. But it could be really exciting, and I could definitely use the money. Then do it. But what if it's really embarrassing, self-conscious, and looks stupid? Then don't do it. <laughs> this scene is... What? Good writing. I, 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 I kind of like this scene. Like, because it's just... It, I like the scenes where it shows more character work. Uh, or, like, be, like, the relationships between the characters. Uh, which, shockingly, we don't get a lot of on this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're often so siloed in their own plot. Yeah. But it's just so funny because his interaction here is so like buzz off. I don't care. Don't do it. Do it. Whatever you want. And then like and then like towards the end of the episode, he does this fatherly advice. It's like it's so much more like heartwarming. I'm like, do what you feel is right. And I'm like, where the hell was this? You literally told her to throw a dartboard to like make it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mitch. Mitch is uh, not necessarily always written. Um. Consistently? It's like you had two different writers. You had one who was like angry drunk father for this part, and then you have like redeeming Mm -hmm. for the lighter part. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. He 
he kind of bounces all over the place to be whatever they need him to be, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, the CJ is written pretty... Uh, pretty cohesively. Uh, and... Uh, I mean, yeah, this tracks is everything we know about. Oh, which, by the way, how I like to ask this of every guest. Um, were you shocked when you saw Pam Anderson? No, I mean, I knew I knew she was in Baywatch. Like, I knew, I knew she was famous from it. But it was, I guess, funny to see her like, I don't know, at this, like, see her in the thing that made her famous, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But then it was just really funny because, like, I was... <laughs> Sitting there with my fourth montage being like, man, this show really was just like a visual segue. Uh, this this is. Oh, yeah. This episode is maybe the most we've seen of, of Pam Anderson doing that specifically. Uh, yeah. In this show yet. So that's why I was like, this is the perfect episode because this it's is this or the episode where her and Stephanie get stuck on the abandoned island and decide that, you know what they should do to kill time? Photo shoot. Oh. That was the one where they had a photo shoot while the Cocteau twins played, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Weird. It was so weird. Um, yeah, this show, the montage. So the show is, uh, it's a mix of action, adventure, and then music video. It's and like nonsense. Three, it's like three different shows or four different shows put together, mm-hmm. and that's every single episode of this show. Do you oh, yeah. think do you think on that set so to tie it back to the timeline of where we're going through the episode when she's mm-hmm. doing the when she throws the dart and hits the Nike ad, what are the odds yeah. I think Nike actually let them like <laughs> like what, did, did, was that just like free advertising for Nike and they probably didn't care? No. Um, Nike was probably a sponsor, if anything. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they yeah. have they have there's, a lot of sponsors. Yeah, there's a lot of product placement. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, there there's like Coke episodes, there's a quite a few like Dominoes stuffs. Yeah. You no. Know. Oh God. The Dominoes references are so stupid. They, when you they, said they, dominoes, I thought like play dominoes. I was like, no, I <laughs> <laughs> someone oh, knocks man. over a bunch of dominoes and it causes some people to drown, you know? <laughs> I wish I wish we could have a season of Baywatch where just like every episode is sponsored by a different old person board game. Like we have like the Moncala episode. Ooh. Like the um fucking Oh, what's that game? You have like the um, the the board with the black and white spikes and the pieces, and you backgammon. backgammon. Oh yeah, you need a backgammon episode. Yeah, <laughs> well, or maybe we get like a Monopoly episode. Though I feel like half Ooh. the episodes are have like a Mister Moneybags kind of you know character yeah. in them. <laughs> we should get. Oh, you know what? I bet we get in Baywatch what? Nights a Clue episode. Ooh, oh yeah, oh, yeah you, totally. you for sure get a Who Done It. Yeah, exactly. What I really, really want is Thunder in Paradise to have these things. Because I want Hulk oh, Hogan yes. being like, I play backgammon, brother. <laughs> in all my years, I haven't seen a parcheesy game like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I've, I want. I've got you in an en brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, please, world, give me this. Oh, man. Um... But yes, after uh, after CJ lands a dart on the Just Do It Nike poster, she decides to go to the modeling shoot. The photographer is very French, and she is hesitant, but the photographer convinces her. So then we get a modeling montage set to dad rock hair metal. Interesting. And also her swimsuit is significantly more modest than every other model, which was interesting. 
Oh, yeah, well, but it's much more swimsuit-y. It f- is, but all the other models were in these, like, very skimpy string bikinis. Well, because, and that's, well, I think that was the point to make her feel self-conscious, right? I think that was to help convey that feeling. Yeah. Oh, I'm not as beautiful as them. Which is ridiculous, because it's fucking Pamela Anderson. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about the music in this montage. Well, actually, first, this montage is... It's, it's fucking whatever the live action version of fan service is. Um, yes. Uh, but uh, in the original airing, this was Love in the 21st Century by Glenn Frey. But Paul and I get Vision of Love by Dave Feldstein, who has done music for quite a few things, notably Supernatural, Weeds, Dexter, a bunch of really shitty Christmas movies, some more really shitty Christmas movies, uh, <laughs> everyone's favorite movies, Romeo and Juliet versus the Living Dead, and Balls of Fury. Please note wow. that the Whoa, song... I forgot about that movie. The song yeah. he wrote for Balls of Fury is also in Supernatural. Uh, oh. <laughs> which makes well. it- Makes it funny to me. Um, yeah, get that paycheck, I guess. Paul, uh, please, would you could you please uh, read some lyrics or sing some lyrics for me here? Um, <laughs> these songs God. are long. This, yeah, these are long. some long ass montages. Yeah, and that was the thing too. Is like I was sitting here and I wrote in my notes where I was like, thirty percent of this episode is a Pam Anderson photo shoot or montage. Yeah, that's 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 pretty <laughs> typical. Not Pam um, Anderson necessarily, but they're usually these long montages. Oh, yeah. Gonna take a picture. I can capture a dream. She's a little slice of heaven, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna put her on the pages of a magazine. She's a dream. She's a dream. Yeah, I love it. This is like such a creepy song. Yeah. No, yes. please keep reading. When you're looking that way, there's something that I can't explain. You've caught me. There is no escape. Chasing a dream that's running away. Oh, you make it look good, baby. Ooh, straight out of Hollywood. <laughs> it's just a dirty song. Then they're like, what's this? You're my little pretty little princess up on a throne. Ugh. She can blind you with a gaze. Your mind is... No, I'll oh, never man. have enough till I make her my own. Yeah. Um, it, it's not... It's not wanting to fuck your brother, but it is pretty bad. And the context of the scene is, yeah, as someone mentioned here, it's uh, she doesn't have confidence. So she's but she clearly looks confident because she's doing like the blue steel kind of stairs and stuff. Uh, But my favorite part of it is she's in this like little hut thing and she's posing an American flag next to a dummy of a British royal guard. Uh, which makes yes. no sense. What yeah. the fuck was that, that shot? That, that was so that was so bizarre. I was like, okay, antique couch is one thing, but royal yeah, on the- yeah, and so specifically in an American flag swimsuit. Yeah, yeah. Like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. What even? Okay, think of it for like a budgetary reason. They're like, okay, we need Pam Anderson to look sexy and some things. Just put her in that outfit. And let her pose on the beach. You built right. this thing and the 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 British Royal Guard thing. Who has that on hand? Yeah, what the fuck? And why why does the photographer have a fucking British Royal Guard outfit just chilling around for his model swimsuit thing? Does he keep that in his back pocket? Is this like a Monkey Allen thing? Does he have it in his inventory <laughs> and he just pulls out a fucking British Royal Guard thing? It's like, ah, I keep this for special occasions. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's so bizarre. I also did think it was also super bizarre, a little backstep when, like, 
she's trying on the different swimsuits and he keeps being like, no, not the right one. It's like, buddy, this is your photo shoot. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can pick. You can pick, like, tell her which ones you you chose all these. Probably she didn't come with a bag of swimsuits. Yeah, <laughs> I just like the idea that she came with a bag of swimsuits and he was like, you know what? I only asked my models to come with their own outfits, not not the ones I'm supplying. Right. I will supply the Royal Guard for your. This <laughs> <laughs> is like, you know, like school pictures back in the day where they would be like, uh, some kids are not photogenic, so they have them hold something or look at something right for right. him that's his british royal guard guy he's like, don't worry it'll make you feel safe i just yeah. put him here in all the pictures like imagine a whole photo shoot with all those other women too and in every shot the british royal guard guy just hanging out he's he's a little like hallmark uh our highlights magazine easter egg yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh Ugh. god Oh man, um, fuck! Yeah, what a dumb photo shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, and it's it's photo shoot one of two, right? We get yeah. needed to a second. Oh. Yep, yep. Um, but first, uh, we get to see Mitch prepping Matt uh, for his next fight, and he he gives Matt some very valuable advice, which is wait for the other fighter to make a mistake, and then make your move. Then, which. I gotta say, if that's advice you need to give to Matt, maybe he should not be fighting. Um, also, very co- still kind of Cobra Kai, like wait for him to slip up and then. You- yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just kind of feels like, like I don't know. I've never been in a fight before, um, but rule one of fighting should be like: if your opponent makes a mistake, you should capitalize on it. Like, I don't know. That doesn't seem that world changing of advice to me. It's also, and it's taught in uh, business 101. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, actually, yeah. But then we get to see a fight that goes on forever. Well, first, no, first, Michael Branson comes in and says, spoken like an expert on weakness. He oh, yeah. Comes in and says all these like random one liners that make him sound. Let's be real here. Like a cuck. Uh, <laughs> that's the word I'm going to use here. Uh, All right. Uh, because that's the Internet word that most yeah. describes his personality. Incel. I could also say incel. Uh, yeah. He, he just says all these ruined his life. Uh, how? <laughs> I mean, like, I know how. But like, uh, it's your own fault. Buddy. Yeah. I did love that, though, where you say someone ruins your life and then you kick him in the back of the way. (laughs) (laughs) You ruined my life. Let me possibly go to jail. Yeah. (laughs) For assault. Um, But yeah, Steve, Steve almost wins the fight. But then he like I need to talk about this fight a little bit, a little bit. Sure. First off, the fight starts off and the first move is a jump kick, which, Matt, (laughs) come on, dude. Uh, Second, Summer looks appalled. Like the whole time they keep cutting back to Summer and she looks like this is the most disturbing thing she's ever seen in her life. Um, also, well, mm-hmm. Michael, if it is neither a sport nor art, it truly must be <laughs> disgusting. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, th- third, this is such a weird location for a series of fights like Granted, yes. we do have an episode later on, the most important episode of this entire podcast, the WCW Bash at the Beach pay-per-view episode starring Hulk Hogan. Um, but and that's at a beach. But this is just like 
a fighting tournament. And when you have the context of Jean LaBelle as the referee, the fighting tournament on just the beach, it seems so weird to just have a bunch it of sure people does. like by and they could be there with their kids and just watching a kickboxing tournament and Summer is there looking appalled like, you know, someone died. It's just all a really weird scenario when you think about it. Like he could have just taken this off the beach and been like, here it is on the boardwalk of Venice Beach and would have made more yeah. sense. Or uh, here it is in an abandoned restaurant. Oh, hey. Adjusting my collar, adjusting my collar. Also, um, at one point during the match, Michael Branson shouts, kill him! Um, like he's from fucking Mortal Kombat. Finish him! I, I fucking love this incel, man. This cock, I love him. He's the worst. I, I, I wrote he's that down in my notes, too. I just wrote quotes, all caps, kill him. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I have, a, I have a couple quotes later in the episode that we'll get to. Um, that I want to talk about, but oh man, oh, just so many good quotable lines this episode. So the match also finishes uh, where mm-hmm. this is really dumb. So Matt yes. keeps dodging uh, hits because Mitch tells him dodge, and he's like, okay, didn't think of that. Um, and <laughs> dodges into jump kicks, which again, stop fucking jump kicking, learn something mm-hmm. new. This is kickboxing, you can kick. But just stand on your feet and kick. Um, uh, yeah, I got to say, in this episode, too much kicks, not <laughs> enough boxes. I know, right? True. <laughs> um, and so Matt, uh, so Steve goes for a, a, a kick. Matt blocks it. No, or, or, or Matt, is, point is, Matt blocks a hit and then knees Steve's hand. And then he goes down. And it's like, that knee didn't even come close to his face. Like, that's what he fell down from? You just need yeah. his hand? The the fight choreography in this, mm, could have used some work. Uh, oh, and then yeah. Steve lands uh, an illegal elbow strike, so Matt wins by DQ, and then Summer's like, looks like somebody died. Yes. Uh, I think after this uh, podcast, we'll need to review, because uh, Michael, I've shown you this, uh, but I, I have not shown it to you. But yeah. Uh, I think I've seen better fight scripting an episode of iCarly. Uh, (laughs) Well, I I recently watched, and I know this is going to sound insane, but also Morgan's going to be like, that sounds right. And Paul's going to be like, that sounds about right. An eight-hour video. um, Mm -hmm. uh, Correct. Already sounds correct. Yeah, it's split across two videos. Don't worry. So it's like five and three uh, about the entire iCarly series. Uh, Sure. Uh, so now I'm an expert on iCarly. I watched it over the course of a few days. Don't worry. It wasn't like I watched it eight hours in one day. You were uh, like, this, this two-parter is a sign of weakness. I must <laughs> well, okay, yeah, honestly, you should have. <laughs> like, look, you could, you could do a nine-hour Cyberpunk 20, uh, uh, 2077 video. Uh, like, why not? Um, the Quentin Reviews did it. Uh, and I know so much about iCarly now. Uh, sure. And boy, howdy, am I going to change the world with that knowledge? <laughs> All right. I'm going to get so many dates from just being like, hey, you want to talk about that one iCarly episode where yeah. that happens? And they'll be like, no. 
But in short, fight, fighting bad, iCarly fighting with Gibby, good. No, there is an, there is an MMA episode of iCarly, though. Huh. Oh, they go beyond? Oh, that's fantastic. No, t- so in the episode, Victoria Justice plays an MMA fighter. And, and uh, someone is like a shitty person. And so then at one point, uh, Miranda Cosgrove and Victoria Justice get in a ring and just beat the shit out of this poor woman for like wow. two minutes. And they're like, the good guys. <laughs> huh. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> it was fucking wild. Just, yeah. Also, in this fight, are they trying to make the Jersey boy out to be like the killer from the Rocky movies? Like where he's like, if he dies, he dies because he's all like Jersey boy. Is he from Jersey? I don't know. He sounds like he's got a Jersey accent. Uh, I think he's I mean, he's got the the tights. So maybe he's Apollo Creed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but he's Apollo Creed that has anger issues and kills people or something. Kill him. No, that's that's more like uh But <laughs> doesn't Mr. T kill a guy? No, I'm pretty sure the Russian dude is the only one. The Russian dude is the one who kills a guy, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Well it's definitely he's de- definitely not trying to be Thunderlips. Uh that's <laughs> Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also is there was there a lot of slow-mo shots for these fights? Like does Baywatch usually have like, oh, yeah. slow-mo oh, yeah. shots and fights? Yes. Well then that's they love a slow-mo shot. Yeah, I felt they, I felt like if I watched the fight at regular speed, it would have been over. In like <laughs> Yes, yeah, <laughs> probably. They use a lot of slow-mo so that the writers um, can just get back to doing a lot of cocaine instead of having to write the episode because um, it stretches out the little bit of script they did manage to write even further. <laughs> um, but yeah, after uh, after the fight, Summer follows Steve back to his car and it turns out he's living at it, and he's mad about getting second place um, in maybe some of the worst acting I've ever seen in my entire this, life. This episode has two competitors for the worst act, three competitors for the worst actor. It's uh, the guy who plays Michael Branson, the guy who plays Steve, and Nicole Eggert playing Summer. They're yeah. all horrible in this episode. Uh, but what's even worse is the writing, because... Uh, at this point, Summer should have said, I don't care that you live in your car. I live in a trailer park. Right. Like she should have just said, yeah, like, not all of our life situations are great, dude. Yeah. Uh, and that probably would have called him down. But instead, she just stares at him and is like, take this trophy. <laughs> yeah. But then how else would he have gotten the chance to say the line, a trophy? Didn't you see that I came in second place and that doesn't matter? <laughs> Second place doesn't pay the bills, Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then uh, then Michael comes by to introduce Steve to an underground deathmatch fighting ring. Um, Really deathmatch. It it sounds like it's just like. uh, He makes it sound like it's going to be deathmatches, but then it super is not when we actually get to see. them. Oh, no, no. (laughs) Um. But then we get a slideshow of CJ's modeling photos, and the photographer Ugh. says, what if we take nudes so I can photograph your soul? And he finally, doesn't say that. He doesn't It's implied. S- I didn't pick it up like that. I picked it up as he didn't even want to take photos of her. He just wanted to sleep with her. That also seems likely. Except then we get 
this line that is going to haunt me for the rest of my days um, when he's like, we should kiss. And she's like, no, I don't think so. And he says, just pretend that my mouth is the lens of the camera. I wrote this too. And wrote, she says, okay, <laughs> and kisses him. That and makes no sense. I hate you're it. not supposed to I hate put it. your mouth on the camera. No, you're going to get bad photos. Your it's lens like, is going to be all slimy. Like, <laughs> pretend I'm a water fountain. You don't put your lips on the water fountain. <laughs> God. Um, yeah. All, the, all, all of this is uh, creepy. Yeah, it's bad. I don't like it. Um, but after they kiss, he tells her to come back another time. No, no, this is amazing. So he says tomorrow they will take more pictures, but just the two of them. Yes. What it's were the already, pictures on the beach? Yeah. Yeah. There was a dummy at the British Royal Guard there, but <laughs> I don't think that technically counts as another person. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he's like, hey, this time I won't bring the Royal Guard. <laughs> But how it's else is she supposed to finish? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, unless I have the stern glare of a royal guard on me. <laughs> also, I just, I love the thought of him at once. Just that, but he's like, all right, CJ, help me carry this cow to the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, what's this for? It's, oh, you'll find out. <laughs> it's my secret kink. Oh, God. What a dumb episode. Um, I love it. <laughs> um, then we get to see Steve explain his tragic backstory to Summer. And it, it's just a, a lot of different people hit a lot of different other people in his family. And I, it's I was sad. hoping it would be like a 20 minute description of capitalism. But it wasn't. It wasn't that. It was just yeah, very I, generic. I wanted to learn why Steve wasn't able to just go get a job. But yeah, fortunately didn't quite get Kick, kickboxing is the only thing he knows so he tells us yeah yeah i mean she says there must be other things you can do and i'm like you don't ask that question if you know you can't write the answer to it <laughs> but they do it anyways because this show defies writing conventions yep uh. um but at this point michael shows up in his 91 camaro and is like come on steve it's time to fight and summer's like cool i'll come with sounds good um <laughs> so they head out uh, and then we get the second modeling scene. Oh, boy. Um, which I my entire notes for this scene is just CJ is modeling for the photographer. Well, I well, hated it. Well, she also so at one point she she's crawling towards him. Yes. Like a snake, because he tells her to do it like a snake. Mm -hmm. And she pushes the camera away and starts making out with him on the beach. Yes. My question is, are they going to fuck on the beach? Because it takes time <laughs> to get home. You have to get in the car and sit in L.A. traffic True. and then finally get in and then fuck. So they're not going to do that at home. They're going to do it right there. But yeah. There's people watching. And this is also her place of work. Because she can't really. There's, like, some conflict there. What is she going to do? <laughs> and uh, we don't get an answer. We do not. Um, I, I, I want all the logistics on this. <laughs> like, that's what this show is missing. Missing yeah. logistics. Yeah. And also, it's kind of funny when uh, Mitch later is like, come on, you do this all the time. And it's like, wait, so, like, she just falls in love every week and, like. She kind of does. the guy. Hooks up with a guy on the beach, like, I'm sure, like, Mitch is on duty, like, watching out the beach. It's like, oh, there's CJ with another dude again. <laughs> fucking just... on the beach again. And it's just like, oh, there's the 12 o'clock fucking on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after that, 
uh, we get to see that Michael has brought them both to the fights and a henchman comes up to Steve and knocks him down and says, you have to always be alert inside and outside the ring. Now there's some good. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Mitch and CJ spend a bunch of time talking about modeling and CJ is upset because the photographer is like, you have to give up lifeguarding if you want to be my model. And she's like, but I'm in love with the photographer. Mitch is like, yeah, every week it's a new guy. And she's like, this one's different. You always say that. Um, and it was kind of dumb. It was. Yeah. The advice of I like how Mitch is like, don't make rash decisions. This coming from the guy who was like, do that one, do that one. OK, and then just throw a dart at the board. I don't care. Mm-hmm. He, his advice is basically, um, Paul, you watch Jimmy Neutron, right? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember uh, Jimmy Neutron's dad just going and just remember, have fun with it. And that's just yeah. you know, he would just leave a scene. That's what Mitch does here. He does not give a shit. And he's just like, you'll figure it out. OK, bye. <laughs> Yeah, Um, but after that, uh, we get to see the fighting ring and we learn that Steve, he's going to fight Michael. So let me slow context here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, these fights there, we see one fight a little bit and they're sort of like kickboxing, sort of proto MMA. Uh, So for some context, UFC didn't run their first show until later that same year. So November 93 and Pancrase, which was a Japanese MMA company that inspired a lot of UFC and was more way more popular than UFC was until like the late 90s, uh, wouldn't have their first event until September that year. There were shoot fighting pro wrestling companies so like pro wrestling matches with worked finishes. uh, uh, And they also had holes that actually hurt. Uh, But like. This is just some dude street fighting in a kitchen. Yeah. And like basically what looks like a cabaret club. Yes. Um, and it, it it's so weird because like it's supposed to give off this vibe of like that they have, I think, in 80s things of like, ooh, the underground fighting arena. Right. But it's just like a restaurant that isn't used as a restaurant <laughs> anymore. So like. Anybody could figure out that, wow, there's a bunch of cars outside this closed restaurant. Must be something happening here. Yeah. <laughs> the cops also, could they, easily find this. They have valet. What yeah. What ground event is like, <laughs> you give the car to the valet. Yeah. Right. And, the, okay, so they're having these fights. That must mean, like, I, I doubt that they're open every single night. Okay. Or... Maybe they are, and it's not a closed-down restaurant. It's just still a restaurant that also has fights. Yeah. Right? So the logistics as well. Again, we need more logistics here. The logistics of this are kind of suspicious at best. The valet struck me as particularly weird, yes. The valet who doesn't really do his job, because later Mitch comes in, just opens up the gate, and he's just like, okay, fine. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, ah, fuck it, I don't care. I don't get paid enough. Um, but then we see that Summer doesn't really want Steve to fight, and Steve kind of doesn't either, and Michael says he'll fight someone else if Summer finds him a different opponent. Um, so then Mitch dumps his entire backstory with Michael to Matt while they kickbox for a little while, and it turns out Michael has been wanting to fight to the death for a while. They were in the military, and, uh, Michael did some shitty things, and Mitch told the MPs, and 
then Mitch was mad. I think we've literally done this plot before. Um, also, doesn't doesn't uh, he get Mitch to tell it just by saying you should get it off your chest? Why? Well, because yeah, yeah. Isn't yeah. something super dumb. It's like, very dumb. It, he no, it's literally that, Paul. It's literally yeah. that. It's it's a dumb excuse. Not even like, oh, you'll feel better just because. Yeah. Oh. Which is like, I mean, I can't I can't refuse a good because everybody <laughs> loves a good because, you know. <laughs> um, but then Michael calls Mitch and says, we're going to fight. So Mitch shows up and Michael's going to break Steve's leg unless Mitch fights him. So they fight and Mitch but, but wins. Before they fight. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we have to talk about the fight. But before sure. they fight. Branson, Michael just kicks Steve from behind anyways. Yeah. I thought was very funny. Um, So this fight, this fight is fucking hilarious. Okay. One, Michael's kicks don't even come close to Mitch's face. No. Also, without even pausing, you can clearly see the stunt devil for Mitch in every other take. Uh, He is. Oh, I missed one year. He is 20 years younger than me. Wow. There's some scenes where it's just... So normally if you do a stunt double, you use the stunt double for a scene where you see them from the back. Right. Or a zoomed out from the front. No, this is like a sort of like half zoom in from the front and then oh. they, or their side. So you just see this guy who has like really good skin and you're like, that's not Mitch's skin. Uh, <laughs> and he just takes these hits or he'll like throw somebody and you're like, that's not David Hasselhoff. And then they cut back to David Hasselhoff. and He's like, looks really tired and haggard. And you're like, oh, OK. <laughs> so unless it's like a Yu Yu Hakusho thing and there's like you become yourself at your most prime state when you get in the groove thing. I don't think this works. Yeah. Um, Also, there's a very, very funny cut um, where uh, Michael throws Mitch into the turnbuckle and they cut to a guy just going, (laughs) like in the crowd, just like money. Um, Now for this fight scene, Mitch's Uh fighting style is very, um, how should we say this? Uh, street, I guess you could compare it to street. Michael's actual ma- martial arts. Because Michael like throws, he's like ah spin kick, spin kick, and Mitch is like uh, maybe I'll throw a haymaker. <laughs> uh, and the match ends when Mitch gives Michael a lariat so hard that Michael spews up blood, which is not natural. You don't normally just like clothesline somebody in their chest and they're like, man, I spit up blood. Uh, they don't typically do that. Good uh, to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, for all those times when I was clearly going to give you a clothesline, Morgan, now yeah. you're prepared uh, to not spit up blood. Now I'll uh, now I'll know the symptoms where if I've been clotheslined, I should go to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you get hit by anybody, I would recommend maybe you check if you're a <laughs> <laughs> I'm a tough boy. Uh, <laughs> That's the, a, listeners. That is a lie. <laughs> I'm a you know, tough baby boy. Um, uh, this this is the part of the so uh, spoilers. This is the part of the episode where I got really invested in the episode because really? I could not stop laughing ah. at this episode. I was so happy with this episode right here from here on. I was just like. This is awesome. 14 out of 10. Let's go. <laughs> In the moment, please. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, 
But yeah, eventually, once uh, Mitch wins this fight, him and Steve escape, and they meet up with Summer in the kitchen and start to leave. But Michael isn't done yet, so they fight around the kitchen for a while. Yes, yes. And, and Mitch this- tries to set him on fire with a stove. Yes. And then he finally yes. knocks Michael out on the scale and says the other line that I bothered to write down for this episode. I guess that's what they mean by dead weight. Did Mitch just kill a man? Did Mitch <laughs> Did Mitch yes. fucking murder a dude in a kitchen? Yes. All it of this is that way. All of this is amazing. It's it, the the fight scene is taking place in the kitchen with Mitch has two parts of a broken uh broken broom and yep. Michael has like a, a pipe and they're fighting and I was like go 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 <laughs> I was so happy this is everything I wanted from a dumb action scene or like doing random stuff with the kitchen stuff and yep. then Summer hits a guy with a frying pan I Morgan my my mouth was agape I was <laughs> so happy yeah it was a great that, that segment was better than like the boxing ring fight Oh, definitely. Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. And the fact that they're trying to leave and then Michael comes out of nowhere and is they're still fighting. I was like, oh, man, a six year old wrote this. And I am so happy. (laughs) I did enjoy the uh, sequence where Mitch attempted to light Michael on fire with a stove because that's fucking way more brutal than we normally see oh, in Baywatch. Yeah. There was also the spinny blade thing that they were yeah. trying to each other into. Oh, man. I I dug it. I was like, yeah. this is the corny shit I live for. <laughs> I also loved that quick segment of like where uh, the girl, well, sorry, what's it called? Summer? Yeah. Where she leaves the escape of like the hench dude. And then it's like it cuts back to him and he like or like he tries to grab yes. that shot. Yeah. And then it yeah. cuts away. And then it goes back to him and he like does this like back off move. <laughs> he's like, oh, OK. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he, see, he sees Mitch and Steve and they're like horrible. They're, they're doing horribly. They're hurting. They're limping. And he's like, I probably can't take on two limping dudes. I'm like, yeah, you probably can. <laughs> Um, uh, also, the line about Deadweight's so funny because I feel like that's what, at the rate Mitch portrayed himself this episode, I feel like that's what he would just say at the funeral, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just, the problem is that that joke doesn't make sense unless Mitch literally murdered him, which is a pretty dark fucking take for Baywatch. Uh, I mean, there's lots of people dying in this show. Are there? It would have been better if he was like, it would have been better if this- he was like, I, I think he's kind of a lightweight or something yeah, like that. Yes, a lightweight <laughs> joke would have been so much better there. <laughs> Morgan, there's people dying all the time in this show. This is Baywatch, a show about lifeguards saving people from drowning. People die. <laughs> like, that's the point. It's like, do they die or don't they die? Tune in this week to watch. <laughs> but I got to say, so far, the answer has been they don't. I think no, Jill is they- like the only one who's died. Well, there's been some random people where it's like, like, there's a few episodes ago, for example, where they're like, Summer has a fear of a green water, right? Remember? Oh, and yeah, they're like, yeah. oh, I and couldn't find the body. Was dead. Right. And there's always, it's usually just like some random kid. And then there was, oh, a main character died once. But like, mostly it's some random kid or woman died. Usually not. It's not like a man died because yeah. the show is sexist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're like, oh, no, a woman. They procreate. <laughs> we do. <now. laughs> the world is doomed. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, after this, uh, we see the photographer show up to CJ's tower where she's working, and he tries to convince her to leave her job as a lifeguard. And she's like, but my job, I save lives, and there's no one in danger of drowning here. And he's like, I am in danger of drowning in my love for you. <laughs> um, so a, a child starts to actually drown. So CJ goes and does a rescue. Um, and during this rescue, her face gets scratched and the photographer is real mad because it's going to delay it's, her shoot. It's um, the most like, it's the most like cliche red marks. Like, yeah, I, I want to say, Paul, is it like the God of War logo? There's some like video game logo. Maybe it's Gears of War. It it's is like the. I think it is God of War, isn't it? The three, the, yeah, like the three claw marks. Paul, like you know what I'm talking it's, about? It's yeah, no, I know exactly who you're talking about. It's it, it's on like every, like if you're gonna do damage to something, it's usually like three claw marks. Like yeah, that is yeah. the generic. It's, it's the generic go to clear damage. Yeah, it's exactly that. And it's just like, the, I don't even know where she got scratched because like they just cut and yeah. they cut back and then she scratched. And I'm like, yo, that's never happened before. OK, that's very convenient, I guess. Yeah. Also, by the way, the whole time that is happening in our version, we get an epic guitar solo. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> I'm jealous. It's kind of weird. Uh, it's not really fitting. Um, but hey, this show dramatizes maybe death a lot. So, yeah. you know, why not? Um, but this scene ends with basically CJ being like, yeah, you're you're using me and this is shitty. And he's like, how dare you? I would never do such a thing. <laughs> um, and then just kind of leaves. Um, I think the the writing staff flex their muscles for CJ's comebacks. This was the, the best writing, I think, was there. Yes. Like, actual good writing. Because she's like, well, what if, like, you said work and love are intertwined, but what happens when you need another model? And it was like, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of clever. Like, this isn't just, like, dumb, you know, banter. She's got some good ammunition yeah. here. <laughs> She's got some good ammunition. I just like the way you said that. She's got some good ammunition. Yeah, she does. She <laughs> says, uh, saving that girl gave me more fulfillment than glamour, prestige, or you ever could. And I was like, Whoa. That's crazy. Boom. You're saying sa- you're saying saving people is better than s- constant sex on the beach. Wow, <laughs> CJ. OK, maybe I should try saving some people. Yeah, I think we all learned a valuable lesson. I would say so. Episode. This uh, this next scene after this one mm-hmm. uh, has a line uh, that there's a few lines in this episode that make me smile that I, hate <laughs> I smile that um, CJ says, uh, I heard Summer, that you're pretty handy with a frying pan or a frying pan. And Summer says, yeah, I'm a real knockout in the kitchen. And I was like, OK, that one made me laugh and I hate myself for it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's basically, you know, they're all in a gym and they're they're working out. And so Mitch is going to coach Steve and Summer just found him an apartment. I wasn't yeah. quite sure what that meant. Did like, she just like look at craigslist ads did she like what what did she do exactly is she paying for an apartment for him well, well, uh, what we've learned from this show at least from season one when there was actual drama about where should i live because eddie was homeless um is that apparently you can just rent space from rich artists yeah or something and they'll charge you like i don't know like a hundred bucks a month uh mm-hmm. and uh 
Steve made a hundred bucks in in one night from when uh, Michael Branson gave him. Uh, he was like, "Hey, you should come to these fights. Here, here's a hundred bucks. Get something to eat." He just made that at once, and then he got a bunch more of that from uh, the fights that he had. So, you know, maybe he was able to afford a few months' rent. Maybe Summer's helping him pay. I don't know. She lives in the trailer park, so maybe not. And yeah, working as a lifeguard. I don't know. We never see him again. Yeah, uh, because that's how this show works. Yeah, it's whatever quite weird. whatever effort she put into getting him an apartment, I would like her to put in the same effort and resources for getting him a job. <laughs> he has a job. It's fighting. <laughs> Michael, that is neither art nor a sport. <laughs> it cannot be a job. Would you tell that to Goku? <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would <laughs> Oh shit. Paul I wants would. to die. Oh boy. <laughs> Goku would be like, what? What is a job? I'm not. I'm literally not human. What is a job? Uh, but actually, oh, I was just I think I, what I would love to do. What I would love to do is say that to Hulk Hogan as he is cooking in his spaghetti chain restaurant. Oh, you mean Pasta Mania? Pasta Mania is neither a sport nor an art. <laughs> so there was recently some woman on uh, on Twitter who is a uh, pro wrestling researcher did. Which she called the comprehensive research into Pasta Mania, interviewing people who had gone to Pasta Mania locations wow. and trying to interview chefs at Pasta Mania. They're they're not really chefs; they're pasta pasta cooks. Yeah, at, uh, at microwave pasta- enthusiasts <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> at Pasta Mania locations. And I have to find this for you because just the idea that when you're like. Yeah, Hulk Hogan had an on-the-beach pasta restaurant themed around the fact that Hulk Hogan is making pasta, but he's not there. It's just wild. Um, Because why? Also, Hulk Hogan had a beach shack that was like, oh, yeah, I make burgers and stuff. That makes more sense than Pasta Mania, brother, which also (laughs) Pasta Mania was in some outlet malls, which why? Again, yeah. What? What? Why? <laughs> I did find a copy of the restaurant menu from Pasta Mania. Oh, you did? Yes. That's so sad. Um, the menu's so sad. Oh, read it to me. Yes. Uh, well, a lot of it is just whatever. It's just like Swedish meatballs or angel hair. Um, but you can order a few things that are interesting. One of them uh-huh. is Hulk's Power Pasta. Um, you can also, uh, in, for little pasta maniacs, you can get the <laughs> Hulkaroni and cheese. Oh my God. Or the Hulkios. Um, Ooh. and then the absolute crowning fucking jewel of this entire restaurant is this beautiful. Oh yes. There is the, uh. The menu, and here is the Hulk Hogan shaped pasta. Oh my god! <laughs> what? Oh no! Oh, Morgan, I was born at the wrong time. Oh, I want to eat this racist pasta. <laughs> Michael but, wants to be transported back in time to go hang out at an outlet mall and go to a pasta mania. Take me back. Send me to here. And just let me get lost for an entire day in the throes of eating Hulk Hogan's face. 
Like, nothing would make me happier than watching this very <laughs> emasculated, racist, <laughs> sexist man Yeah, just serve me. I want him to specifically serve me little mini versions of his body, and then I put it in my mouth. Oh, man, I want that. Also, this particular location was located in the South Food Court next to Daddy's Deli. <laughs> what is Daddy's Deli? <laughs> I don't know. On a related note of celebrity pasta restaurants, Hulk Hogan is the example of how to do it wrong, but Eminem is the example of how to do it wrong. Wait, he had a specific pasta restaurant? What? Yeah, Eminem has a new place called Mom's Spaghetti. Oh my god! <laughs> That's... Wait. No. I'm sorry to derail this whole tale. No, 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 no. Oh, please no, please, please. Wait, That's you gotta tell me more about this. He, he opened a restaurant in Detroit called Mom's Spaghetti. I Think it yeah, drive through. It is but. it is momspaghetti.com. Okay, well I gotta open this up right now. <laughs> oh boy, mom's uh, I wrote mom's spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the website's glorious. The uh, menu selections are a bit better, albeit slimmer. Yeah, but, I mean, it is right out of like a trailer, like it's a food truck kind of thing. So. Well, yeah. Okay, wait. Biggest question. The menu. Mm-hmm. All the E's are backwards. Yes. Because of M&M. I but guess. Why is yeah. that needed? I don't know. Also, what is it? What is a spaghetti sandwich? <laughs> someone, someone please answer me what a spaghetti sandwich is. What? I don't, well, I don't like it. Why? Gonna, I, I hope you like carbs. <laughs> why, why okay so for three bucks you can get pop or water yeah so they're saying that getting a pepsi diet pepsi or mountain dew costs the same amount as getting water mm-hmm. oh no paul what is that is that real that's, yeah that's a pasta sandwich it's literally just you that's make, his is that from from his no 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 that's not his oh okay i was so gonna, I, I did look spaghetti sandwich up on wikipedia and learned that in australia they are called a spaghetti jaffle. And that's great. I love that. What is a jaffle, though? I, I don't know. I hey. feel like a spaghetti sandwich is equivalent to, like, a toast sandwich. Yeah. It's like bread with more bread in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm looking it up. Oh. Okay, so it looks like... Oh. <laughs> okay, so hold on. <laughs> now, I will say the concept of a, tal- of a spaghetti sandwich I could get behind is one where the noodles are the bun, but then the uh, meatball is the... Ooh! Yeah, 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 I can see that. I can see that. But, yeah, I don't want bread. Like, I don't want you to be like, here's your like, spaghetti with marinara. Put that in between two slices of bread. Yeah. Huh. The- these-, these are the spaghetti sandwiches. All right, well, I mean... I uh, dead dove dot JPEG. I don't know what I expected. <laughs> yeah, it's literally it's like, just a sandwich with know, some spaghetti. I don't even know if I would take like a chicken parm sandwich. Like that's a little like I don't know, know. that that. OK, here, you want to see a picture of the chicken parm sandwich? Oh, I like, love a I chicken can, parm sandwich. Yeah, I do, too. <laughs> well, you're not a real Italian. I mean, you are. <laughs> I don't want a chicken parm sandwich. Everybody. OK, here's the thing. Yeah, that's fucking delicious. That's a meatball sub with with, with Getty. <laughs> yeah, it counts. That's a real. It's a real. It's a real Getty image. 
Oh, no. <laughs> Here's the thing I'm just realizing. Um, 95% of the guests that we have on this show are Italian. Hmm. Um, and, Paul, you're the guy I make fun of all the time for being Italian. Not that being Italian is inherently funny, but <laughs> it is. Uh, it is. <laughs> and you were like, I don't want a chicken parm sandwich. Come on, Paul. This is in your blood. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me that you've been steaming all your Italian meats. I also break wait. my noodles in half. Oh, <laughs> OK, wait, 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 wait. Two questions. One is breaking noodles in half bad. Yes. Yes. OK. And steaming your meats is bad. Yes. So there was a story going around, I think this summer, where there was like salmonella outbreak and cured Italian meats. And so we CDC, talked about this on this podcast. We have. Holy yes. Shit. The CDC told everyone they have to steam their Italian meats to at least 165 degrees, <laughs> which is not I'm not doing that. I refuse. I will die before I will fucking steam. My you can't prosciutto. touch. You can't touch the tor- Morgan's Italian meats. <laughs> Bah. <laughs> bah humbug. Bah fungul. <laughs> so for my, for my Italian redemption, I do love a chicken parm. I think I inherently have a distaste of like, like I hate the Big Mac for the middle piece of bread. Huh. Like, That's not a chicken like, parm. That's a Big no, 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 Mac. No, no, But like, I hate the concept of things that already have bread elsewhere, but then mm. add more bread in. So like, if you're going to give bread me pudding. Sh- <laughs> well, as long as it's not in a sandwich, I'm okay. <laughs> oh, a bread pudding sandwich sounds pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Because because the chicken is already breaded, like, I don't want it in a sandwich. Is it I can understand that, even if I disagree. Of, is it because of taste, calorie, calories, or you're like, this just seems like it's extra work? It's literally health, me trying to be borderline healthy, is all I'm <laughs> But you're still out. eating a Big Mac. You're, no, no, you're, no. you're like going to remove the middle piece of bread from the Big Mac. And you're like, <laughs> it's healthy now. That's why I go for the double quarter pounder with Big Mac sauce. I mean, the double quarter pounder is the superior McDonald's burger. I agree. <laughs> I mean, there, I don't think there's if anybody disagrees with us, please tweet us uh, and say <laughs> what your favorite, you know, McDonald's burger. Is. I mean, maybe I'll, maybe I'll buy you a double quarter pounder with cheese. I don't fucking know what I'm going to do. Play <laughs> off me. <laughs> Buy the love sink. I don't know. <laughs> before before we get too off topic, I do just want to say the last uh, little beat of this episode is that Matt and Mitch make fun of CJ by imitating the French photographer. And then the episode ends. It was kind of funny. Actually. It was kind of funny. Because they go, kind of funny. oh, go ahead, baby. Uh, and, uh, I'll make you a star. Uh, that's not French. I did like a Swedish accent <laughs> for some reason. Uh, and yeah, it was pretty funny. But yeah. yes, that is the episode. So, uh, you know, as we do our rating scale here, and um, you know, one is discovering that love is dead, and ten is discovering that you have a gold prospecting 49er uncle who left you a gold boot in his will. Um, actually, you know what? That's not right for this episode. For this episode specifically, <laughs> we need a new scale. Sure. Um, so that's why I'm saying for this episode, our scale is on a scale of one to ten, with ten being the Sonic the Hedgehog movie bar fight scene. <laughs> because we've only rated individual fight scenes with that scale. But this whole episode deserves the Sonic bar fight scenes. You know, I agree. 
Paul, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the bar fight scene from the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, where would you rate this episode, and what would you say that number is as an experience? I think as an experience, and I think I got lucky with this episode. I, I really do think I got the quintessential experience. <laughs> we we of saved Baywatch. You. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you saved you really saved me. Um, and I I thank past Paul and Michael for figuring out that this episode would be best purely based on description alone. Yeah, I I think I put it at an eight out of ten. Yeah. I I just because it has flaws, I will admit that. Uh, but as far as a Baywatch viewing experience goes, I think eight is probably as high as things are going to get. Um, without me being a completely unbiased monster. <laughs> <laughs> monster. Wow. Uh, what would you say the experience of an eight is? In comparison to the Sonic the Hedgehog bar fight scene. Who? I think I put it at. I think I put it eight out of ten as the uh, intro gameplay segment of Sonic Adventure 2 Battle with running around at the speed of sound. Hell Whoa. yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, with the, I think with the snowboard? Yeah, because, you know, it's like you think Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, like that's what you think of. It's like Absolutely. you think of Baywatch. When you think of Baywatch, I like to think you'd think of something like this episode, right? Like you're not going to think of. I don't know. It seems very quintessential, quintessential, hits all the notes. That's that's how I feel. Yeah, fair. Wow. Um, I, I guess I'll go ahead and give my rating. Um, oh, well, you should ask me. Oh, sure. Right? Don't I, I exist, too. You know, that's probably worse is you don't give it to yourself. You ask one person, Fine. the other person asks you. you know? It's like Morgan was Conan. I was the guy on the couch and Michael's the other guy on the couch. <laughs> Just like, I'm over here on the side. You know? Don't forget about me. Um, yeah, I so as much as there are problems with this episode, I had so much fun with this episode and I'm sure my rating is going to be higher than Morgan's. Um, just because, again, my mouth was agape from the fight scenes in the kitchen. I was like, I was having so much fun. Uh, and I just, I, this episode was entertaining to me. It's not great. It's just entertaining to me. So I am as well going to give this an 8 out of 10. And I would say uh, an 8 out of 10 is... Wow, I had planned this when I went to the bathroom before we started this, and I <laughs> forgot what it was. Now I have to remember it again. Holy shit. I remember what it wasn't, because I decided between two <laughs> things. And I was like, I'm not going to pick that one, because that one's less funny. But that was the only one I can remember. So I'm like having to remember what the other one is. Holy crap. Uh, oh, give me a second here. All right. God, why can't I remember? <laughs> it's because your mind is filled with pasta now. <laughs> I I mean, yeah, pasta may have pasta may have ruined it. Oh my, <laughs> oh my god, what was it? Holy shit! I'll tell you, I'll t- I'll tell you the one that it wasn't, and we could just maybe like edit in the one that it was. And, sure. Like if I remember in a second here, uh, the one that it wasn't. Was I I had a moment uh, when I was watching wrestling the other day uh, that was 
just so corny and dumb that it made me corpse and like laugh really hard. Mm-hmm. It's very bad. Where uh, one guy says, "Yeah, I have a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu," and this woman says, "Yeah, you have a black belt. Well, I'm a black bitch." And I was like, "That's <laughs> horrible. That's that's a dumb line. Wow, <laughs> that's the worst line I've ever heard. Yeah, ever. that's bad. And I, but now people have been posting. You have a purple belt. I'm a purple bitch, and it's a picture <laughs> of the Hamburglar." <laughs> or not hamburger, it's Grimace. That's very and then, good. And then someone be like, yeah, you have a white belt? Well, I'm a white bitch. Uh, and it's just people <laughs> doing that, and I find it very funny. That's very um, funny. God, what was the other one I was going to say? Holy crap. You know, uh, man, I was so sure when I was on the toilet, and I was like, man, I could do like a, hey, Morgan, future Morgan, pick which one you, you find funnier, but you're going to find this one way funnier. Uh and now I can't remember it. It was so good. And I'm doing all this lead up to it. <laughs> oh, man. I am it's never going to live up to the hype now. You've, you've put it on too high of a pedestal. It's going to. Yeah. I, your, I can't anymore. Fine. Well, OK. Since I ruined this episode, Morgan, <laughs> bring us back. What is your rating? Well, I I guess actually kind of I am glad I'm going last then because um, I am going to be the killjoy here. Uh, I I didn't <laughs> I didn't love this episode. I thought it was pretty boring. Um, I had a hard time focusing on it, and a lot of it uh, just kind of like passed straight through my brain. I left my brain feeling a little bit smoother. Um, it wasn't Ew. offensive. It was just kind of nothing, and I didn't really enjoy it that much. Um, so I am, I'm going to give it a four. Um, (laughs) and I'm going to say that a four is, uh, based on the pictures of food that we got from the mom's spaghetti restaurant. I'm going to say that a four is the experience of eating at the mom's spaghetti restaurant. Um, not great, but not terrible, thankfully. So this episode is kind of like the reverse version of that Gilligan's Island episode. You're like, <laughs> it's like a 10 and I'm like, it's a two. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So what we've understood is that uh, uh, kickboxing is the is Michael's Gilligan's Island. Sounds like it. Or something like that. Um, I want to read to you some of the IMDb reviews uh, that we have for this episode. Uh, because there's actually quite a few. There's five reviews of this episode. Wow. Uh, which is quite a bit. Um, also, the goofs are very funny. There's like six goofs. This is a great one. Oh. It isn't very believable that Mitch would be in Let Alone win an MMA fight after he spent the previous two episodes in a rehab hospital recovering from a spinal cord injury. Two out of two people found this interesting. I was one of those two people. Um, Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, not as much of a character error as much as it is just bad writing. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so we have five reviews here. Uh, all of these are, well, there's one 10 out of 10 review here uh, from a newbie who uh, called it the sexiest Baywatch episode by far. Sure. Uh, and, um, okay. The IMDb reviews of this episode are a pretty good, also, uh, barometer for that political spectrum you were asking me about. Yes, yes. <laughs> mm. um, 
So, of course, the two sand crab. Now, Paul, you probably don't know this. Uh, there is a sand crab 277 and a sand crab 722, and they are different separate people uh, who leave reviews, um, which is still funny to me every time I get to say that. Um, that is pretty funny. I like S- that. Sand crab 722 titles his review, Sea Lions Cool, Seals Reek. Um, and he says... If that guy David Charbet is a kickboxer, then I'm Belmondo, not Buzz, the good-looking French one. I don't know what that means. Um, then he says, another baddie from Bio's past. So he calls Mitch for some reason. To exact painful revenge. We've seen this flick before, but only eight more seasons to go. Woohoo. A boxer lives in his car mundane lucrative secret fight club rams the heights of implausibility a creep creeps on pam ho hum um i guess that's a review um (laughs) ho hum and then the other one out of 10 review is from the other sand crab who says if that guy alan bergery is photographer then i'm ansel adams Okay, I'll take your word on that. I had no problem with CJ having an epiphany and giving up the glamour life. I'd take working at the beach any time over doing another job I didn't like. I don't think the writers ever think about what the viewer perceives when they produce this crap. Mitch is Superman <laughs> and has over- overnight healing powers. Uh, not. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. I, uh, not. So, uh, yeah, nobody really, most people don't like this episode. There's one, like, four paragraph review that's very very long um titled let's let a kickboxer beat you up it's less painful than watching this but i disagree because i gave it an eight (laughs) um uh but let's talk about as well our next episode it is our season finale um and oh boy what a season it has been um it's it's truly changed the way Baywatch has been viewed by me because um, season two sucked so much. Uh, you know, season two is just racist after racist after racist episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, season three has been better. Um, but our final episode of season three is called Fatal Exchange. And the Baywatch wiki description is strange occurrences take place at Baywatch after the arrival of a new lifeguard, which, okay, um, very descriptive, sure. And then the IMDb description is a brash new Australian lifeguard named, this is his name, Wiley Brown. I'm sure that's a a name. Arrives at Baywatch on an exchange program, and he and Mitch don't get along because of Wiley's self-serving ways at lifeguarding and flirting with Kay Morgan. Wow, we haven't seen Kay in forever. Who is now debating with herself whether to start dating Mitch after he finally asks her out to dinner. Mitch is also troubled by a bad memory of a failed rescue attempt. Okay, of a failed rescue attempt of a windsurfer in Australia years ago, which suddenly takes a turn when strange incidents start occurring around Mitch and he feels someone is trying to kill him and correctly begins to suspect Wiley. Uh, <laughs> sounds wild. Sounds wily. <laughs> Am I right? Okay. Mm, I, feel um, like that's the, I feel like that's the title of like a Looney Tunes short with Wiley Coyote. 
sounds wily. Uh, I'm going to make this even better for you. Morgan and Paul, you both have seen the actor who plays Wily before. Oh. Because oh. he plays Kano in Mortal Kombat. Oh, oh. shit. And that's awesome, because I love that guy. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, but, Morgan, why else am I excited? Uh, are you excited because we're almost done with season three? I mean, I was going to say say that and because Paul joined us. Here oh, yes. Episode. Well, that is very exciting. <laughs> I forgot about Paul. <laughs> You're like, my God, the Baywatch is almost done. <laughs> no, but seriously, Paul, it was genuinely very good to have you on the show. And I I do hope you will still consider it to be a pleasure uh, to have been on this show, even though you've now been subjected to almost two hours of uh, Baywatch. He gave it's it an bad. eight. <laughs> you gave it a four. Yeah. You're the one who didn't like it. He liked it. Don't like be like putting this shit on him. You can't guilt trip him. Paul's his own man. You're an adult, right? Aren't you, Paul? You're an adult, right? Aren't you? That's true. I pay my taxes. <laughs> I pay my taxes. I have a wife. I'm an adult. Yeah. <laughs> I I stand my ground on the third piece of bread and the Big Mac. I am. (laughs) I'm a big boy with big boy health concerns. (laughs) But I I will I will reiterate. I do think that this episode, as a person who's never seen Baywatch, encapsulates everything I thought a good Baywatch episode should have. Yeah. (laughs) Is it good? Is it good TV? I don't know. It was good. Good enough to last what like twelve years? So yeah, no, I mean we're we're definitely you know glad you came on and glad you enjoyed the episode and certainly if you ever find yourself uh, needing bored. to scratch the itch of Baywatch <laughs> again or or just bored, absolutely a valid reason. We would love to have you back on sometime. Um, ah, a true pleasure. Maybe this time Morgan will actually like the episode. Maybe it's happened before. It's, um, it, uh, honestly, I've taken a look back at our episodes. Yeah. Morgan tends to rate episodes higher than I do. Yeah, I think that's actually true. Uh, which is very funny because most people would assume, just based on knowing me, that I would rate the episodes higher because yeah. I just have like a high tolerance. No, I tend to dislike episodes more than Morgan does, which yeah. is very funny to me. Yeah. Huh. Huh. You're like, I, I need to be a grump now. <laughs> um, but before before we wrap this thing up, Paul, do you have anything you want to you want to plug? You want to mention uh, Twitter? If not, no worries. Just wanted to uh, offer the opportunity. Uh, the only plug I have is to commend you to Brave Souls for putting yourselves through <laughs> this trial and tribulation that is Baywatch. Thank you. Uh, my hat's off to you. Thank you. Know, you. you are like the at least like 10th person to say that. <laughs> uh, oh, so I'll just take it back since you've got so many people. <laughs> you, so many people have told me, Michael, I don't know how you and Morgan do this every week. And I'm like, it's not as hard as you think. <laughs> it's really not. But I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't, you know, this, this, I find the ritual of watching a Baywatch episode, talking about it, that seems pretty therapeutic and enjoyable. Yeah. But yeah, it's I the actually, fact of, it's the uh, point of going through Baywatch that is the. <laughs> oh, yeah. That part is like daunting when you're like, I have so much. And we're also doing the expanded universe. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe of Baywatch. <laughs> uh, that, that part is daunting, but. Uh, I don't know. I enjoy sitting down and talking with my friend every week about it. It is it is pretty nice. I got to say it's a good constant (laughs) to have in your life. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good constant, Um, especially when we were like the constant is we fucking hate this show because it's racist (laughs) as fuck. Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, that gives me a good, uh, you know, good baseline for my political beliefs. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not Baywatch. Wow, that answers your question or yeah. my question from earlier. Wow. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, all I think that's left to say is thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Rookie School Pod. I am at Morgan P. Thrap. I am at Snotsnit, S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. We'll see you next week. And just remember, punch, kick. Spin kick. Ooh, jump kick. Jump kick. Jump kick. I do again. I do again. Sure you can.